Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Um, but tonight we're very happy to present Jim Gavin for his short story collection, Middlemen. <laughs> He's a writer that's been described by Esquire as the second coming of Dennis Johnson, and the New York Times says of Middlemen, he strikes a fine balance in each tale, wielding a sharp sense of humor, but never losing sight of people's dignity. He's a former Stegner Fellow at Stanford University and received his MFA from Boston University. His fiction has appeared in The New Yorker, Zeziva, and Slice Magazine. This is his first book, and uh, let's all give him a very warm welcome. Thank you. Can you hear me? Um, well, I want to thank Skylight for having me and <coughs> for supporting the book. Uh, it means a lot to me, and um, I want to thank all of you for coming out. Um, as a writer, I'm incredibly lazy and unmotivated, and um, uh, I'd rather do anything than write. And uh, I think the fact that I do, I think my main motivation is to not let down the people who have kind of encouraged me along the way. And a lot of those people are here tonight, and so... Um, I want to thank you, and I feel like this book kind of um, belongs to a lot of people here. So um, I'm cashing the check, though. So um, <laughs> people aren't getting a fucking dime out of me. Out of this, so um, normally, when I read, I um, I give a really dynamic, high-energy performance, and uh, I do voices and act out scenes. Um, it's amazing to watch. I'm incandescent, but uh, tonight I thought I'd do, I'd do something different. I think I'm just going to be just kind of low-key and boring. So, um, all right. So I'm going to kind of read a abridged version of one of these stories. Um, it's about uh, plumbing and cancer. So prepare to be enchanted. All right. Uh, it's called the Luau. As a boy, Matt Costello often wondered what his dad did when he left the house in the morning. 
The old man was in sales, he knew that, and from the brochures and catalogs stacked in the garage. He knew it had something to do with toilets. This always seemed like a joke to Matt, toilets. And he didn't understand why anyone would choose to go into this line of work. Years later, while half-assing his way through college and trying to, d to decide what to do with his life, he finally asked his dad how he got into the plumbing industry. The old man, with his usual modesty and good humor, explained that when he returned from Vietnam in 1969, his only goal in life was to work someplace with air conditioning. To that end, he answered a classified and got hired to work the order desk at a toilet warehouse somewhere in the industrial corridors of South Los Angeles. This decision led to a lifelong career as a plumbing salesman, a twist of fate that seemed funny to Matt, or did for a while anyway, as he wasted away his 20s bartending, coaching soccer at his old high school, and not quite finishing his university education. Then his mom got sick. Matt quit all his jobs, moved home to Anaheim, and spent the next year helping to take care of her while she endured chemotherapy. Several of his closest friends had lost their moms to cancer, so he knew the drill. This happened to everybody sooner or later, and he marveled at the quiet and dignified way his friends had moved on with their lives. He looked forward to doing the same, earning his credentials as a stoic, and joining their club. But when his mom died, he failed to live up to their example. She was a fierce, deadpan woman, and deeply practical. Before the cancer got to her brain, she carefully planned her own funeral. She wanted on eagle's wings for the recessional hymn, and she dispatched her daughters to J.C. Penney's to pick out a dress for the coffin. Nothing too fancy, she said. After she died, Matt, for his pain and loss, felt entitled to many rewards. He secretly anticipated, in no particular order, a moment of spiritual transcendence, the touch of a beautiful and understanding woman, and some kind of financial windfall. Instead, at 30, he was broke and living at home. His sisters, the true Stoics in the family, had both moved out and resumed their careers. The house was empty in the afternoon, so he sat by the pool and watched the water turn green. At night, when his dad went to bed, he'd load up on his mom's leftover Vicodin and watch The Office over and over. That bit in the Christmas special, when Tim says he'll get a drink with David Brent, crushed him every time. Enough was enough. A month after the funeral, his dad talked to his boss, Jack Isahakian of Ajax Plumbing Sales, and Jack offered Matt a job selling toilets. With no other prospects, he accepted. Now, a year later, deeply aware of his own vanity and foolishness, he was sitting through another sales meeting at the Ajax warehouse in Compton. Larry Rembert, the factory guy from Brentford, paced back and forth in the dusty light of the wood-paneled conference room. <clears throat> Ajax rep Brentford toilets throughout SoCal. It was one of their glamour lines. Larry, a short, paunchy black man in his 50s, finished his third can of Budweiser and held up the new Brentford catalog. He turned to a picture of the new vitreous China siphon jet urinals. The flushing velocity on these things, he said, is fucking breathtaking. <laughs> Matt noticed all the veteran outside salesmen taking notes. Realizing he didn't have a pen, he sank down in his seat. At the front of the room, his father, Marty Costello, the top outside salesman at Ajax, tapped his fingers on his knees, jonesing for a cigarette. Larry assured Jack that the improved pricing and rebates would strengthen their position with commercial contractors. On the residential side, he hyped the Ultima 900, an elongated vacuum assist two-piece with a newly designed anti-siphon ball cock, and apologized once again for the old ball cock, which was recalled this past spring, causing chaos for newer plumbers throughout Los Angeles, Orange County, and the Inland Empire. 
Afterward, Larry repaired to the Panorama Lounge of the Holiday Inn in Long Beach, where amid moody neon tube lights and smooth jazz renditions of contemporary pop hits, he bought drinks for all of Ajax's outside salesmen and for a group of aerospace engineers who had been laid off earlier in the afternoon. <laughs> he rehashed key points from his recent speech at the Association of Independent Manufacturers Spring Conference in Reno, and he spoke with conviction on a variety of topics. He had his doubts about the war in Iraq. Rumsfeld's a fag. He worried about the state of the NBA. All these Serbian dudes look like vampires. <laughs> and he loved the new season of 24, a total mindfuck. At some point in the evening, as Larry staggered around the bar trying to make a case for the existence of the chupacabra, I've seen some things, man. J Jack steered him toward Matt. This is Marty's kid, said Jack, standing between them. He's our new bottom feeder. Maybe you could ride with him tomorrow, help him out. You bet, said Larry, and then, leaning in close to Jack, he whispered, I'll take him to the luau. So I'm going to skip ahead. The parts I'm not reading are amazing, so you guys gotta, <laughs> just got to read them for yourself. This is the next morning. They went to IHOP. I've been on the factory side for a while now, explained Larry, as he emptied a bottle of Tabasco on his omelet. But before that, I was in the rep business in L.A. for almost 20 years. Brass, china, tools, pumps, you name it, I sold it. Haze poured through the window, illuminating the spotty silverware. Matt had to squint to see Larry, who seemed to blur in the morning light. How do you stand a living out there in Yuma, asked Matt. It's hot, Larry said, but there's no traffic and nobody hassles you. I can sit in my yard and shoot jackrabbits all day if I want. I can shoot other things too, crazy things. <laughs> is, there a lot of, is there a lot of new construction out there? Not like out here. I call on some plumbers in the high desert, said Matt. In 10 years, everything between Victorville and Vegas will be paved. That's what we call the circle of life, said Larry. As long as they're building houses, we make money. Larry, shielding his eyes from the morning glare, looked out the window toward the parking lot. Don't take this the wrong way, he said, but your car is a piece of shit. It runs, said Matt. Where was it made, Pyongyang? It was my mom's car. All right, said Larry, squinting briefly with concern. Jack mentioned all that. Sorry to hear. Thanks, said Matt. Listen, said Larry, when I started in outside sales, Pete Dominic gave me some advice. Pete Dominic? Yeah, Pete Dominic. Before his stroke, Pete was the guy at Mulhern Sales. Booster systems, vertical turbines, Pete killed it top to bottom. He was the biggest, one of the biggest assholes I ever met, but back then he was the only guy in LA who'd give me a chance to do outside sales. Before him, nobody would let me off the order desk. The other bosses liked me fine, but they didn't want my black ass walking through the door. Pete thought I could make him money, and I did. When he brought me on, he said that if I wanted to make it selling industrial hydronics, the first thing I should do is get a loan and buy the most expensive car possible. That way I'd have no choice but to bust my ass trying to pay for it. Matt was pretty sure this was the worst advice anyone had ever given him. But he nodded and said, makes sense. I bought a Coupe de Ville, said Larry. Nice. It got repossessed after Mulhern went under, but that's a whole other story. That shit had nothing to do with me. I just want something that gets good mileage. Yeah, but you need style. Matt felt slighted. He considered himself an industry fashion plate, if only because he refused to wear poofy pleats and knit golf shirts. One of his new customers, Ron Shiavaco, a five-star pipe and supply in Baldwin Park, still wore Sansabel pants. I can't afford a fancy car, Matt said. What else are you spending your money on? I'm saving for a trip to Europe. What's so great about Europe? I don't know, 
museums, cathedrals. Larry laughed. My first wife wanted us to go to Europe, but then she ran off with a Dominican. A priest? A shortstop. Some single-aid nobody making a hundred bucks a week. Larry put a cigarette in his mouth, but didn't light it. Are you going to finish that? Matt handed over what was left of his chicken fried steak. Jack showed me your numbers, said Larry. You're not exactly setting the world on fire. It's been rough, said Matt. Jack thinks you're a lazy prima donna. I try not to be, but it goes against my instincts, said Matt, sounding waggish to cover the absolute truth of the statement. I don't tolerate laziness, said Larry. It's a form of treason. He began ripping open sugar packs and dumping them three at a time into his coffee. I have no sales experience, said Matt, and Jack doesn't believe in training. Baptism by fire, said Larry. It's been over a year and I still have no idea what I'm doing. Your job is to go out there every day and get your face kicked in. It's the only path to enlightenment. Uh, I'll skip ahead a little. Larry looked sympathetic. Finishing his coffee, he said, I've known your old man a long time. He's a good salesman, but Christ, he's been doing it for 30 years. You get good after a while. Nobody's born with a priori knowledge of plumbing fixtures or anything else. That's been proven by philosophy. We rep 25 lines, said Matt. It's a lot to learn. So you seem like a smart guy. Jack said you went to school. I never finished. I've been bartending and coaching soccer. Soccer? Larry said soccer with a vague dist distaste that Matt was used to. American men of a certain generation still associated the sport with communism and homosexuality. <laughs> a JV team, said Matt. The waitress brought the check and Larry grabbed it. I'll buy lunch, said Matt. Lunch is taken care of, Larry said. We're going to the luau. It's an actual luau? Yeah, they got beer, roast pig, everything. You're lucky I got you in there. These luau's are invite only. <laughs> Who's doing all this? Lamrock. For a moment, the name lingered in the air like someone had struck a bell. Matt had heard of Lamrock. Plumbers throughout Los Angeles spoke his name in reverent whispers, but Matt could never quite figure out who he was or what he did. He asked his dad once, and Marty Costello said, Lamrock's Lamrock. He's just somebody who knows everybody. Skip ahead. So they're making sales calls. They're now at Eagle Pipe and Supply in Long Beach. In his faded Chivas jersey with its red and white vertical stripes bulging across his massive belly, Armando looked like a walking fumigation tent. <laughs> he stood behind the will call counter holding a sprinkled donut in one hand and a ping pong paddle in the other. I think I remember you, he said, squinting at Larry. He put down his paddle and shook Larry's hand. Didn't Chet what's-his-name used to manage this branch? Larry asked. Chet died last year, said Armando, making a, the sign of the cross with his donut. He had a stroke on the 11th hole at El Dorado. Chet moved a lot of Brentford, said Larry. So did I before the recall, said Armando. The ballcocks, Jesus, man. You know we're taking care of that shit the best we can. Has Matt talked to you about the new Ultima? I gave him the new catalog, Matt said. A monkey can pass out catalogs, said Larry. You go over it with him? Yeah, he did, pretty much, said Armando, slapping Matt on the shoulder. You guys want a drink? Later, over a game of ping pong, they talked about Brentford's new urinals, and Armando suggested they chase down a mechanical contractor he knew in Carson, who was bidding a job for LA Unified. We can see him before we hit the luau, suggested Larry, pressing a wad of toilet paper into his palm. He cut his hand earlier. Armando interrupted his serve. Lamrocks? Are you going? asked Larry. Oh, yeah, said Armando, firing a wicked ball past Matt. Anybody who's got anything to do with anything will be there. Who's Lamrock? asked Matt. Do you have a Hawaiian shirt? Armando asked Matt. No. Armando looked ominously at Larry. 
What happens if I don't have a Hawaiian shirt, asked Matt, beginning to panic. Who's Lamrock? <laughs> Sorry. Hang in there. Check Twitter. <laughs> they drove north on Cherry Avenue, past the gates of All Souls Cemetery. For the past year, Whenever he called on customers in Long Beach, Matt would swing by All Souls to look at his mother's tombstone. He'd stand there for a while trying to remember everything about her, every moment they ever shared. But strangely, he couldn't remember very much. His mind, for the most part, was a searing blank. Now and then, he remembered something small and meaningless from her last year, things he saw when he drove her to doctor's appointments or watched television with her in the afternoon. He could see the shadows of the parking garage at St. Joseph's Hospital, but he couldn't see her. This felt like a curse, and he worried that he had failed her in some way. He hated himself for not finishing school, for not establishing his place in the world. If he ever made anything of himself, she would never see it. A few weeks earlier, while walking through the cemetery, Matt had seen his dad in the distance, already at the tombstone, standing above it in his brown members-only jacket, with his arms folded and his frizzy comb-over flapping in the wind. It was two o'clock, that dreaded time of day when outside salesmen suddenly find themselves alone after a busy morning. Matt suspected that every outside salesman looked for ways to escape this bright and desolate hour. Pubs, libraries, the beach. Matt had all his sanctuaries mapped out. 20 minutes to himself, outside of his car. That's all he wanted. The cemetery was a frequent stop. He hid behind a tree so his father couldn't see him. Skip ahead. In a trance, Matt hit, Matt hit his turn signal for the cemetery, but then saw Larry wiping orange Cheeto dust all over his khakis and remembered where he was. Larry reached back for his briefcase, put it in his lap, and popped it open. Matt glanced over and saw that it was empty except for two neatly folded Hawaiian shirts. Better safe than sorry, Larry said. Why would, we, why would we be sorry? You'd be sorry, not me. You're just lucky I brought an extra. Why is it so important I wear a Hawaiian shirt? Larry looked at him like he was crazy. Because it's a fucking luau, son. I'm skipping ahead. They were making more sales calls. It's an odyssey. <laughs> they got on the 710 North, a blind and savage freeway. The lanes were choked with freight trucks coming up from the harbor. Matt's Kia was dwarfed on all sides by smoke-belching 18-wheelers. Shadows crept over him, and he lost sight of the sky. The farther he got from the coast, the more claustrophobic he felt. Driving inland was like being lowered into a pit. Larry, rummaging through the glove compartment for a tissue, found a battered copy of Catch-22. It was one of the few books Matt had saved from high school, and he had picked it up recently. I never read this, said Larry, flipping the pages. Is it good? It's fucking great. Matt heard his voice go up an octave. He coughed and tried to take it down a notch. My dad read it while he was in Vietnam. Can you believe that? I used to read a ton on the road, said Larry. All that legal thriller crap. I read a bunch of Grisham, said Matt. What's your favorite? I don't know, said Matt, trying to remember which was which. A Time to Kill is his best book, said Larry, and I can tell you why in two words. Matthew fucking what's his name. <laughs> Larry examined his bloody hand. Did you read The Bridges of Madison County? Yes. <laughs> sort of, said Matt. He thought of all the crappy books on tape his mom listened to during her chemo sessions, and he thought of all the Sandra Bullock romantic comedies they watched together at home in the afternoons. He'd squirm during the melodramatic parts. 
She often wondered aloud how she and her husband, with 12 credits of junior college between them, had managed to raise children who were such snobs. I think Meryl Streep shows her tits in that, said Larry, lighting a cigarette. But for my money, Crimson Tide is the best movie ever made. I'd probably disagree with you there, said Matt. David Spade hasn't been in anything good in a while, continued Larry, connecting a mysterious series of dots. Not since Three Amigos. He's not in that, said Matt, with a sudden note of authority in his voice. Who am I thinking of? I don't know. David Spade, he's on Just Kill Me, right? Just Shoot Me, right. David Spade, he was also on the other thing with Pauly Shore and the other guy. I'm not sure what you're talking about. What movie am I thinking of? I don't know. Was it Valley Dude? I don't think so. He wasn't in Valley Dude? I don't think that's an actual movie, said Matt. I think I'm thinking of what's-his-name, the other guy. These were the kind of looping and erroneous cultural discussions Matt tended to have with his mom. He had a sudden urge to write it all down, every pointless word. They were passing over the lost industrial cities of Bell, Cudahy, and Vernon, a flatulent corridor of derelict foundries and abandoned railroad spurs. In the distance, through the bright, murky haze, the downtown buildings looked like they were sitting in a jar of formaldehyde. I miss the road, Larry said. I miss the action. The driving gets to me, admitted Matt. Yeah, but it's better than being holed up in some office, said Larry. They made a brief stop in City of Commerce to see Ron Chiavaco at Five Star, but his sister, Valerie, who did all the purchasing, explained that Ron was at a doctor's appointment. He hadn't been feeling well. Without looking up from the invoice pile she was sorting, she coughed and said, his heart. <clears throat> Matt drove east on Washington and then took Soto north toward Boyle Heights. Larry had him turn left and they came to an empty road that ran alongside the stark geometric banks of the Los Angeles River. The sloping concrete walls absorbed the sunlight and pulsed with an alien phosphorescent whiteness. Matt turned away from the hypnotic glare and saw a dead rooster in the middle of the street. Chupacabra, said Larry. They passed a series of vandalized warehouses and came finally to a long cinder block fence crowned with barbed wire. A dozen or so cars were parked on the street. They got out and Larry removed the Hawaiian shirts from his briefcase. Do you want hula girls or palm trees? Hula girls, said Matt. Take the palm trees. The hula girls one is kind of tacky. <laughs> Farther down, a couple plumbers wearing bandanas, cut-off dickies, and bright red Hawaiian shirts walk through the gate, each with a 12-pack under his arm. The air was filled with acrid smoke. Going through the gates, they passed a dark, lanky, bald man with a thick mustache. He was leaning heavily against a stack of pallets, trying without success to pour a bottle of Bacardi into a can of Coke. He lifted his head and fixed his bloodshot eyes on Larry's shirt. Brentford sucks, he said. What did you say, said Larry? Your ballcocks are fucked, man. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? That's Mike Melendez, said Matt. He's the Kenner rep. Fuck Brentford, said Melendez. I don't have to listen to this. Larry unzipped his fanny pack and took out a gun. Jesus Christ, said Matt. Don't worry, Larry told him. It's loaded. <laughs> Matt couldn't take his eyes off the gun. He felt instinctively that if he turned away, a bullet would rip open the back of his skull and his body would be dumped in the river. Mike, for his part, 
was not impressed. He made a dismissive propeller sound with his lips and took a swig of, of his Bacardi and Coke. Whatever, he said, shuffling away. Like Kenner's never had a recall, said Larry, looking bewildered and dis disappointed as he returned the gun to his fanny pack. Lamrock is definitely going to hear about this. Are you fucking nuts, said Matt. Calm down, Larry said. Everything's fine. Lamrock loves guns. Who the fuck is Lamrock? Come on, I'll introduce you. Matt's head dropped. He rubbed his eyes. You said there's beer? Yeah, there's beer. They went through the gates into a large pipe yard. Plumbers were milling around, eating off paper plates, talking on their nextels. They passed through the warehouse where workers buzzed around, racing each other on pallet jacks. And they exited down the open steps of the loading dock. A big blonde woman in a yellow moo called them over. I figured you'd show, she greeted Larry, kissing him on the cheek. She had a bag full of plastic lays and ceremoniously placed one over each of their heads. Good to see you, Wanda, said Larry. He introduced Matt and tugged on his shirt. Look at this kid, all breezed out. That's a nice one, she said. What happens if you don't wear a shirt? You don't want to know, she said. I'd really like to know, said Matt. If you don't have a shirt, she said, you can't be in the raffle. <laughs> Matt wanted a beer. Grand prize is dinner for two at Olive Garden, she said. I'll never win that fucking raffle, said Larry, taking his ticket. They grabbed Coronas out of an old bathtub filled with ice and made their way to the buffet line where Matt ran into Ron Chiavaco. Don't tell Valerie I'm here, he pleaded, adjusting his elastic pants. She thinks I'm at the doctor. Give us an order, said Larry, and we won't say a word. That's extortion. It's business. Is this your first, excuse me, is this your first luau, Ron? Asked Matt. Yeah. Larry pulled a gun on Mike Melendez. I heard. Come on, Larry said. Let's find Lamrock. They walked to the far end of the pipe yard, which looked like an abandoned flea market. Matt saw televisions and VCRs, washers and dryers, coffee tables, empty jewelry counters, bicycles, pianos, surfboards, and a crumbling pyramid of tires. They found him passed out in an empty jacuzzi shell. Lamrock was a chubby little man with a gray crew cut. He wore red swim trunks with black socks and sandals. There was a shotgun next to his head, and he had a small handgun holstered on his ankle. So what is he? Matt asked. A wholesaler? More of a distributor, said Ron, tentatively. But a contractor, too, I guess, on the general side of things. I'll tell you what he is, said Larry, holding his beer up in salute. He's a goddamn angel. <laughs> After lunch, Larry offered to let Matt fire off a few rounds into the empty river. No way, said Matt. I'm scared of guns. Lamrock eventually rose from his slumber, and Larry introduced him to Matt. Lamrock raised his beer and said, here's to you. Then he stumbled away. Later, Matt saw him at the far end of the lot, aiming a shotgun at the ironwork of a distant railroad trestle. A crowd of drunk plumbers cheered him on. Matt finally wandered away from the crowd and sat down on a rusty toilet. It was 2 o'clock, that bright and desolate hour. Matt couldn't believe where he was. A year ago, when people stopped by to see his mom, they would often ask him, once they had left her room, what he was going to do after. It seemed like an irrelevant question, and he never had an answer. He would just walk them to the front door and return to her room. The walls were covered with family photos, a crucifix, and a framed map of Ireland. In the afternoons, he opened the curtains in the glass slider, letting in the breeze and giving his mom a view of the pool. Twenty years ago, during one of the booms, the Costellos had put in the pool. It was their greatest triumph as a family. They probably should have saved the money to get them through the next bust, but Ellen Costello wanted her kids to have a pool. 
She gave her children everything she had and more, heedless of cost, and Matt knew that he owed much of his happiness to his parents' willingness to live beyond their means. A million things about his mom should have made Matt nostalgic, but for some reason, the time he longed for most was the last couple months of her life. They rarely spoke about anything important, but they had never been closer. Her suffering was beyond words, and Matt knew that the frail bedbound woman in front of him was the toughest person he would ever meet. He wanted to be with her again in hell, shifting her pillows, changing her TPN bags, rinsing her vomit bowls. <clears throat> Those afternoons destroyed him and would continue to destroy him every day of his life. For this he was thankful. He needed to be destroyed. Matt liked to think that the last thing his mom saw <clears throat> before she died was the tranquil surface of the pool. There you are, he heard Larry saying. Matt looked up and saw him silhouetted against the bright sky. Larry handed him a beer. We're celebrating, he said. Why? Because you're quitting. I am, said Matt. Larry took a sip of beer and looked out across the river. Just be glad you got to see the luau. Thanks for bringing me, said Matt. You're not a salesman, said Larry. I wish I was. Go do something else, said Larry and there was mercy in his voice. Don't waste our time down here. Thank you. So quickly, if there's any questions, but I'm going to wait like five seconds. So. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, let's give him another round. That was a really incredible reading. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.